Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're going to fly, we fly like eagles. Hey, good morning again. It is Friday the 13th, 2023, which might lead you to think that we're going to talk with our friend Adam Holtz about the Friday the 13th uh, movies, but we're not. So um, we're not going to talk about horror movies at all. There's plenty of horror unfolding outside of the movies. Um, And so um, uh, just a couple of comments uh, here at the outset of this hour about watching our language. Well, actually, listening, (laughs) listening as we're watching. Uh, to other people talk, listening to their language and and watching their language, but then also watching our own language. And so I want to, um, there's, there's just a few words I want to lift up. You're going to hear them. You have heard them. And I just want us to settle in on a, on a couple of words here for just a moment. Um, what is the difference between a tragedy and an atrocity? So, um, there are many things. I mean, an accident can be a tragedy. Um, a natural disaster can be a tragedy. These are tragic things that happened. Um, when a human being makes it happen, when it is at the hands of a person doing evil, it's not a tragedy by like actual definition. And so when you hear that language, it would be helpful if you would pause and say, this is actually an atrocity, not a tragedy. Um, a tragedy is uh, something that happens with no, there, there, you can't assign moral blame. An atrocity is something that happens because there is a moral agent who made it happen. And what we are, um, what we witnessed on Saturday, these are atrocities, not tragedies. And so that, that would be one language note to, um, to make. Here, here's another one. The use of the word evil. You, we have heard the, the word used. Um, we heard our own president use the word. He described these events in his speech as sheer, unadulterated evil. I think he's right. Sheer, unadulterated evil. Um, and so here's, here's my question. How do you hear that word? Do you have a category? Do you have a place? Do you have somewhere in your mind, um, in your worldview, that the word evil actually like fits. It makes sense. And my guess is that if you are operating out of a biblical worldview, if you are operating out of a worldview um, where, you know, there is a God who is a creator and he is sovereign um, and he is uh, working out his sovereign will in the course of the unfolding events of human history and that all of human history is actually moving toward um God's ultimate redemptive act when the new heaven and the new earth will um, will be and Jesus will reign forever and ever and every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. If that's, you know, if that's what you're operating out of, then you have a place, you have a category, you have um, 
a working understanding of the term evil. Imagine for a moment you don't believe any of that. Imagine that you have a worldview that does not include the reality of God at all. Um, you know, from a, from a Christian, from a biblical worldview, not only do I believe that there is a God, I believe that God is good. Because I could believe in a God who's not good. But I believe in a God who is, not only is, but is good and is personal. Because I could be, believe in a, in a good God who's impersonal. But so I, God is good, which helps me understand what evil is. And God is personal, which helps me understand how evil works. Evil is a theological term. And evil can only be understood from a worldview that begins with a personal good God. I cannot know what evil is unless I understand what goodness is. And I can't understand what goodness is unless I understand who God is. God is good. And evil is real. God is personal. And so is evil. Secretary of State Antony Blinken um, has a Jewish father, has a Jewish stepfather, is a survivor of the Holocaust. He is Jewish. Um, and he, um, he spoke volumes yesterday during his visit to, um, to Israel. He spoke volumes before he ever opened his mouth. If you haven't seen the video, of the deep, personal, extended embrace between our current Secretary of State, the leading diplomat of our country, and the Prime Minister of Israel. If you haven't seen the speech given without words, um, I invite you to do that. His words were honest and powerful as well, but he gave the most important part of his speech when he showed up and he put flesh on the promise. Um, And so I want you to think about that today. Who do you just need to walk up to and hug? No words necessary. There are some times where words just complicate the matter. What people need is a human being incarnating the reality of love and friendship and withness. I'm with you in this. I am with you in this. I'm not going anywhere. Those were the words he spoke. We're not going anywhere. We are with you and we are for you. Those are the words, but the action not just showing up, but then deeply embracing um, a world leader at a time when that's what they need most, a friend to stand with them. And then um, one unhelpful word, one word that I found um, unhelpful. I I do not think it's helpful for a sitting member of the U.S. Senate to be um, calling for um, the leveling of Gaza. I don't think it's helpful for a sitting member of the U.S. Senate to be describing this as a holy war in which we, quote unquote, we, the United States of America, are actively engaged. So 
there's theological language that is appropriate to use, and there's theological language that is not appropriate to use. It goes it goes beyond um, uh, what is what is honest to the living of these days, and what is true to who we are um, as a people. And so um, I lift that up to you today. All right, so. Um, I was asked a couple of days ago, so I'm curious to know what on um, what you guys are talking about in relationship to Taylor Swift and um, Travis Kelsey. Like you're covering that, right? Because you bring the mind of Christ to bear on what's going on in the world, and that's the most important thing going on in in the world. And I'm I I just I, I looked a little stunned at the person when they said it, and then of course um, it is the headline news in so many places today, and it just captivated the attention of so many people. And so, yes, Adam Holtz and I will be talking about Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. Undoubtedly, Adam will have more to say than I will. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Our friend Adam Holtz is back from Focus on the Family's Plugged In. And Adam, we have a special guest. We have the Faith Radio sportscaster with us to bring us up to date on the Kansas City Chiefs and Travis Kelsey. Ryan Mitchell, what does Carmen need to know about the Kansas City Chiefs and Travis Kelsey? Well, apparently to this point, everything that's going on is still not affecting his play on the football field. Last night, he led the Chiefs in receiving nine catches, was the favorite target of Patrick Mahomes, and they won another football game. So somehow, some way, he's juggling all of it, and I probably shouldn't comment on his relationship, but I'm, I'm sure Adam can do that. <laughs> All right, Adam. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? This Carmen? is a full service. This is a full service radio show. We, we have it all. That's right. That's yeah. right. Uh, Taylor Swift, the heiress tour concert film <laughs> opens today. Yep. Um, it does. Uh, first, first of all, the heiress tour is, is the tour she has now completed. And now there's a movie. Uh, that's mostly correct. The Ares Tour is ongoing. It is mm. mostly done in the United States for right now, although there are more shows next year that she has done. It's something like 200 shows across the world. Uh, and um, she's going to net, I mean, maybe not personally, but the tour as a whole is going to earn between two and two and a half billion dollars. So, I think the first thing that we need to say about Taylor Swift is she might be the last remnant of what some have come to call the monoculture, which is in a, a time when we all shared a cultural experience. Now, not everybody. I'm being a little bit, you know, uh, I'm exaggerating a little bit. But, you know, the time that you and I grew up in, there were fewer channels. There were fewer entertainment outlets. There were fewer pieces of entertainment. And what that meant was more of us were experiencing that. Well, in our time of streaming and so many different music services and video games and YouTube and social media, that has resulted in an incredible fragmentation where it's hard for any one artist to break out above the noise and sort of be like that thing. But if you're a teenage girl growing up today, even though it's an overused comparison, it is not an exaggeration to say that Taylor Swift is a Beatles level phenomenon. I had a family at church. They bought five tickets to her show for a hundred bucks each. They sold them for $9,000. So 
I mean, just she's a phenomenon. And so I'll, I'll pause there. There's a lot that we can say, but I want to just, you know, I, I do want to just touch on what it is about Taylor that I think is incredibly attractive to so many people. Okay. In- incredibly attractive and a, uh, and a Kansas city receiver whose name is Travis Kelsey. Yeah. <clears throat> These are yes. all of my, uh, all, all of my notes to myself uh, to say all the right points. things. All my talking points. Um, uh, somebody, somebody. I mean, these are all the kinds of things that people have raised in terms of conversation. Like, you know, he makes fourteen million dollars a year, but she makes a whole lot more than that. Like, it's not, you know, it's right. gonna be an interesting, interesting relationship to watch unfold. Swifties know nothing about football. There are people who have like launched um, this is a football introduction, um, vi- like TikToks for uh, for Swifties who need need to even know what a football is and what a quarter is, and you know who's uh, yeah. That's that's all happening. Um, but here's the thread that I thought I might pull with you. Travis Kelsey yeah. identifies as a pretty devout Christian. Right. Um, Taylor Swift, not so much. Not so much. Uh, I don't know much about Travis Kelsey's faith. I, let me just back up a moment and say that part of Taylor Swift's mystique, part of the, you know, the legend of Taylor Swift is the long, long, long list of celebrity boyfriends she has had. I mean, she was asked in an interview last week, basically, you know, how long will it be before her relationship with Travis is generating new music that shows up? So Mm. when you enter into a relationship with Taylor Swift, you are entering into, by default, uh, her story. And make no mistake, Travis Kelsey is one of the greatest tight ends who's ever played the game. Uh, I live in Colorado. I watched him eviscerate my Denver Broncos last night. And uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm beyond being angry at this point. I'm into some sort of resignation stage, but that's another conversation. Um, he is a big deal in the NFL. He's not anywhere close to being in the same universe. And so it's interesting to me. I, I'm going to riff just a little bit on Taylor Swift. Her longest relationship, which just ended oh, I don't know, six months or so ago, maybe a year ago, was with a guy named Joe Allen, who is British, who was an actor that pretty much nobody had ever heard of. Her longest relationship was was with somebody who was pretty much unknown. Uh, her previous flings and relationships with the likes of one of the Jonas Brothers, I can never remember which one it was, uh, you know, with Harry Styles, with Jake Gyllenhaal, with John Mayer. I mean, it's a long, long list. When celebrities get with celebrities, relationships tend not to last, I think, because you have all sorts of competing priorities there. Um, but I, I think, you know, I just want to speak for a moment to Taylor Swift's arc. Her early popularity was built on her sort of earnest, gee whiz, aw shucks, romanticism that was pretty innocent. Then she got pretty damaged and went into like her angry, jilted phase. And she's kind of on in a new phase right now, I think, where... There's a mix of all of that, and there's sort of some philosophical self-awareness happening. Her biggest hit from her most recent album is called Antihero, and she reflects on the fact that she's her own worst enemy, and she understands why people love her and hate her. Um, But teen girls and tween girls and young adult women identify with her. There's something in the way she tells stories and writes songs that it's not all good, definitely, but man, she crafts a story that 
that young women connect with. And I think that we have to reckon with her appeal. Uh, and there's so much to say here. She's the biggest thing happening in pop culture. And the movie's set to make $150 million to $200 million this weekend. She's bypassed the traditional Hollywood system, made everybody mad. But she's Taylor Swift. She can pretty much do what she wants. And uh, she's making hundreds of millions of dollars. So I don't think she's going anywhere. And we'll keep having this conversation. All right. So I'm going to um, I'm, I'm going to just set out, uh, hold out a little hope here. I am. Uh, this will this will be Carmen's Friday. Just painted all unicorns um, segment. So um, here's what I'm hoping. I am holding out hope that um, this reflective growing self-awareness phase of her life um, where she does acknowledge that um, she's a person in need. Maybe not. Maybe she doesn't use the word redemption yet. Um, but she is now also, I think, in a love phase, which I always like to see for people. And um, and Travis Kelsey is like a real Christian. Um, he credits his athletic abilities and his opportunities. He credits it all to God. Um, he believes that he has a responsibility to use the platform he's been given for a greater purpose. Um, he uh, He's very involved um, with giving it away. I mean, he just, he he's constantly not only giving uh, of himself, um, of his time and talent and resources, but encouraging others to do so as well. And so I'm hoping that he is a totally different kind of guy than she's ever dated before. I'm hoping that this leads her to um, to a redemptive encounter with Jesus, because I can't imagine a person who could have greater influence with the next generation if God turned her into an evangelist. So there you go. That's my Carmen uh, painting it all, uh, painting it all joy um, on this Friday morning. We got to take a very brief break. When we come back, Adam Holtz um, from Focus on the Families plugged in. Uh, We're going to talk about some other things. We're going to help parents and grandparents in particular um, talk with uh, their kids and grandkids about what they are seeing and hearing. How do we help them process through or get to the place where they would delete their social media accounts? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. So glad you are listening to Mornings with Carmen. This is Bill Arnold. I would love for you to check out my podcast in the afternoons. It's called Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Spent the entire marketing budget coming up with that name. But we do scripture engagement and have lots of fun. Make sure you can check it out at myfaithradio.com. Well, that was kind of fun. Did you hear two tracks of audio at the same time? That, That was a little bit fun. Um, Adam Holtz is here with us from Focus on the Families Plugged In. Adam, obviously a lot going on in the world outside of, um, you know, outside of all the fun we might have just had in relationship to football and um, and, and the entertainment industry. Um, lots of kids seeing and hearing lots of things uh, via their social media in the last week that are images that are never going to leave their minds. Um can we talk a little bit about how to talk with our kids about what's happening in the world without scaring them um, and how we talk with them about maybe deleting their social media accounts um, as there's just so much content there that's just not appropriate for little eyes? Yeah, that's exactly right. And let's actually start there and work backwards. Um, the Israeli government has advised parents to have their tweens and teens delete Instagram, TikTok, 
you know, anything that's a short form video platform, which these days is pretty much all of them one way or another, because of these horrific images showing up. And I think what's changed today, Carmen, is when you and I were growing up, uh, you know, and, and older, you know, even going back further than that, you might have had Walter Cronkite or Dan Rather relaying the news in, you know, a curated, edited, controlled environment for a couple of minutes each night, right? I mean, I, I still have very, very vague memories of, of Walter Cronkite doing the, you know, the nightly body count report. Um, but we're now in a place where, because there are so many cameras out there on phones, um, we're getting raw, unedited, graphically violent depictions of the atrocities that you were talking about, um, you know, that, and that is the right word. And even though theoretically these social media platforms should have filters built in to protect users from that, uh, they're not working. And so not only is there that graphic imagery to reckon with, but you're not in control of it necessarily. It can just show up in your feed and you're, you're confronted with it. Um, and if you, if you watch one of those, and let's face it, some of this is similar to driving by a car accident on the highway. You know you shouldn't look, but there's a dark impulse to want to know how bad it is. Edgar Allan Poe, who there's not much I agree with with Edgar Allan Poe, he called it the spirit of perverseness, right? Mm. We want to look mm. at dark things, and that temptation is there. And so you know, the twofold conversation is how do you set limits and boundaries on that? But if your kids have been exposed to it, I think just creating a space for conversation, uh, talking about it. What did you see? How did you feel? What do we need to do to protect you from interacting with images like that more? And then the bigger con God conversation of, you know, where is God in the midst of this? And that's not necessarily an easy conversation, but it, man, it's an important one to be having with our kids. Um, there's a, a friend on the text line saying, you know, like, you know, how do I have a conversation about why did God allow this? And I do think that these are the days in which, these are the moments in which um, our ability to articulate the things of the faith really matters. Our ability to draw on biblical stories really matters. Our ability to know history and know the God of all history, um, and know yeah. the end from the beginning, all of that really matters. And so um, Katie asking right now, why did God allow this? Um, I'll give you, um, you know, I'll give you a brief how I would answer a child who asked that question, um, how I would answer them. I, you know, God didn't, didn't make puppets. He made people. Um, and God actually does respect. He actually respects the freedom of your will. He actually respects you as a human being. Um, and so he is not going to control you in the same way that a puppet master would control a puppet. Um, God wants you to love him and God wants you to um, align your life with the things that he knows are best for you. But he also respects that many, many people have, will, and will continue to reject him, to reject his character, his ways. Um, to reject his beauty, his truth, um, his goodness. God actually does respect the freedom of the human will. And so um, when we ask questions like, why does God allow this? What you are also asking is, 
why did God not prevent these individuals from doing the evil things that they had set about to do? Um, And so uh, I'm not telling you that he couldn't have, because he certainly could have. But if God were to stop every person from ever doing anything that was contrary to his good, pleasing, and perfect will, we would be puppets and not people. And so um, God wants you to choose. He wants you to choose him. He wants you to choose love. Um, He wants you to choose goodness, beauty, and truth. Um, But he also respects your right to choose otherwise. Hmm. Yeah, that's exactly right, Carmen. And and I think that you were mentioning the word evil before. And again, it's it's a word that we, I think, sometimes use inappropriately. But the horror of Adam and Eve's choice in the garden is that this is what it unleashed, right? I mean, I think Mm -hmm. there are echoes of Cain here. There are echoes Mm -hmm. of the first moment of hatred, of envy, of strife, and the idea that the way to get what you want is to do violence against somebody else. And the level and the, the absolute horror of the details here it staggers our minds because we don't understand how anybody could do that to somebody else but that is the evil that was unleashed in the fall and that is the evil that jesus came to redeem right and Mm -hmm. and so god's goodness and his sovereignty are in play here in ways that i don't fully understand like i think the other thing is we want answers And I think as Christians, sometimes we have to be okay with saying there's mystery here. God's ways are not our ways, which is not to to let God off the hook somehow or try to dodge the hard question. But I also think the depths of evil are only fully reckoned with at the cross, right? And and we live in the broken world. We live in this in-between world where the redemption is not complete yet. And mm-hmm. sometimes that fallenness expresses itself in, in horrific ways. Evil is real. And although the time will come, the time is coming when peace will be the way of the world. Um, and that is when Jesus comes again to reign. We live, as Adam just pointed out, in the meantime. And that's not just the time in between. It's times that are um, and continue to be revealed as mean um, so, Adam, as always, um, thank you so much for being here with us. Um, you guys often uh, communicate with me that you would like some encouragement on how to pivot from kind of the tepid, halfway, unenergetic rhythm that you have, maybe rut is a better word, sort of the rut of the Christian life that you have um, that you actually feel stuck in. It doesn't feel filled with joy. It doesn't feel energetic or energizing. And you often ask me, like, how do I, how do I get out of this and into this real life, this abundant life, this full life, this joy-filled life um, that I know is possible because I do see it. I've, I, I hear about it. it. It must be possible because other people are living it. How do I get from where I am to that? Um, John, um, uh, John Lindell is uh, is actually the person who writes the foreword to the next book we're going to talk about. 
Noah Heron is the author. The book is Holy Habits. But John Lindell opens um, with, uh, with these words commenting on the book. In our world of instant everything, we can be prone to opt out of the spiritual disciplines that God wants to use to shape our lives and build our futures. And if we're not careful, we can end up exchanging the on-fire life of faith that God has for us with anemic spirituality bound to personal comfort. Do you feel like you have kind of an anemic spirituality right now and it's pretty much bound to your personal comfort? You looking for a way out of that rut? Holy Habits is the book. Noah Heron joins us next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Noah Heron is joining us now. Um, he is, among other things, the author of Holy Habits, but you may know his name um, from um, from all kinds of gatherings uh, across the country over the scope of time. So, Noah, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Hey, I'm honored to be here. Thank you for having me. All right. So you're now a church planter and a pastor. You're a husband and a dad. But uh, people listening may well know you from what? Yeah, so for the past, uh, man, three, four years, I've been traveling uh, full-time just on the road at conferences, churches, universities, uh, some businesses even mixed in there, just uh, preaching the gospel, um, occasionally at, at businesses, uh, sharing more just faith uh, kind of talks and conversations, but really just talking about Jesus anywhere that people would have me. I love that. So um, I'm noting here that... Um, your um, your phone number begins with an 813 area code. And because I grew up in Tampa, I'm, yeah. of course, curious to know, like, why do you have an 813 area code on your phone number? Well, I grew up in Tampa as well. So <gasps> really? that's amazing. I went to Plant. Oh, I went to Plant City. <laughs> I love Plant. So that's where all the strawberries are. So, you know, we would have to come out to you for the strawberry festival and those incredible strawberry shakes at parks. Like, oh, my goodness. Yep. Right? The Parksdales. Uh, oh. Parksdale Farms, the strawberry capital of the world, actually, is uh, Plant City, Florida, where I grew up. So, I mean, you could get um, like a strawberry that was like as big as the palm of your hand. Just amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I just didn't want to forget about those strawberries, so I never changed my my phone number. Um, so it's good. Just a it's so good. Well, and it allows people like me to uh, to make a connection with you that I might not have otherwise made. So, um, we want to talk about intimacy with Jesus. Um, a lot of folks, a lot of folks, Noah, um, who want that, they, they, they see that other people have it or seem to have it. So what is it 
that we are missing? And then how do we get from where we are to intimacy with Jesus? Well, I think um, intimacy is a journey. That's the first uh, thing that comes to mind is it's not a destination or or finish line. It's just like any other relationship. Um, The longer you're in it, the more intentional you are with it, the better it gets. And over time, you look back and you go, man, like, look how far we've come with this. In the book, um, I actually use the metaphor of a scuba diver. Uh, Growing up in Tampa, my dad would go scuba diving on Saturday mornings with his friends. And he explained to me that a scuba diver can't just go down to the bottom of the ocean. The pressure would actually kill you if you um, did that, if you just jumped in and swam to the bottom uh, of deep water. So you actually have to go down like 10, 15 feet at a time and let your body kind of stabilize to the pressure at that point um, in the ocean. And so I really think that following Jesus is just a constant, gradual, just dive into the depths of who he is. And that's something that won't just happen in a week or a year or even 10 years. That's something that happens over the course of our life. But slowly but surely, we become more intimate with him. So good. I love that image. Um, So the book is Holy Habits. You actually outline 10 of them. You probably could have written 100. Um, But um, they start with, uh, they're all tangible, first of all. I think that's important for people to know. They're also small, like, right? Talk about the the way that small choices can lead to big changes. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I think um, every big thing in our life can be traced back to one small decision. And it's a matter of compounding those small decisions that lead to big habits that can change your life. I, I came across this quote a couple of years ago that you are... Uh, when you're born, you look like your parents, but when you die, you look like your decisions. And mm. I really think you could take that a step further and say, when you're born, you look like your parents, but when you die, you look like your habits, because your habits are just your decisions compounded, which are really what make up your life. And so um, I think when it comes to small habits, uh, it's the the process of stringing them out over time and making them repeatable and making them something that you can do every day that really makes the habit uh, something that can change your life. So um, so let's jump in. Let's jump into Holy Habits. Um, again, we're talking with Noah Heron. Uh, the book is Holy Habits. Um, I want to, I want to jump down to um, like rest so you can run and sit in silence because these sound yeah. like not much work, but let's... Uh, <laughs> Let's start with where you start. Read it and choose it. Yeah. So uh, the Bible is really clear that it's not hearing the word of God that sets you free. It's it's actually doing the word of God that sets you um, free. And so uh, I was struggling as a young believer to experience the freedom that I read about that Jesus offers. And I think the big reason behind that was I knew the Bible, but I wasn't choosing the Bible. And so uh, all the way back to the Garden of Eden, sin always comes down to believing a lie. The devil, he tells a lie. And then when you believe the lie, uh, that's when sin enters your life. And so I was trying to figure out how do I go against these lies that the devil is always telling me that that leads to sin. And so what would happen 
um, th this habit is really me writing down the areas of weakness in my life and saying, these are the areas that I keep finding myself struggling in, sinning in, uh, failing in. Where is the scripture in the Bible that directly combats these lies that I'm believing? And so I bought this little notebook. It's like this little, I don't know, maybe four inch by six inch notebook that I carry around with me. And over the course of the last like five years, I've written like 40 different lies in that notebook that I found myself uh, believing everything from, you know, you're not good enough to, um, you know, you, you need blank in order to be accepted, whatever. And then I've gone and I've found scripture that directly combats that lie and I write it underneath the lie. And anytime I'm feeling tempted um, in that area, I'll just open out the, that little notebook and remind remind myself of that scripture. Um, and it's it's helped uh, so much uh, in the way that I wanted it to, but it's also helped hide the word of God in my heart to where I now have like 40 um, scriptures memorized that I, you know, hadn't memorized before, but they're just something that's become a part of uh, my regular go-to of when I feel that lie, I can just quote that scripture and go, no, this is, this, I'm going to choose God's word versus the enemy's word. And it's been really, really freeing. That's so good. Um, I'm thinking that on, on your list, if you're listening right now, you know, maybe on your list is that, you know, well, I'm alone. Well, that's a lie. Maybe yeah. on your list, um, I'm unloved. That's a lie. Maybe, yeah. uh, maybe you think you're a mistake. That's a lie. Maybe you think you're unlovable or unredeemable, irredeemable, the, all of those lies, lies, lies. And so yeah. I love this practice. Um, I love how simple and, and tangible it is. And so, um, so thank you. Um, thank you so much for that first of the 10 holy habits that Noah Heron um, outlines for us in the book, Holy Habits. We're going to continue this conversation in just a moment. But maybe um, during this very, very brief break, you could just give a little thought to, you know what, what's one lie? What's one lie that I know I'm believing? And then what is the scripture? What is a scripture that I actually already know? I already know um, the scripture that claims God to be different than what I am believing, um, claims a truth that God has spoken over me different than the lie I am believing. Maybe let's just take that one, make that one small choice right now to um, to choose what God has said over the lie the enemy is telling you. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We're going to continue our conversation with Noah Heron about holy habits in just a moment. We're talking with Noah Heron. He is a church planter. His church is called The Way. It is just outside of Nashville, Tennessee. Um, Noah, maybe you would describe it as in Nashville, but is it's in Gallatin. Is that correct? It's actually um, in the heart of Nashville. It's on Gallatin oh. Avenue, about a mile from Broadway, which is kind of uh, confusing because Gallatin is a place, but it's also a road. <laughs> I um, I live in Kingston Springs. So see, even I thought um, I, my geography is that bad um, of my own city. So there you go. All right. So good Sorry. to know. Uh, so he's, he's, his church is in the heart of um, of Nashville. Um, and we're going to I'm going to ask you in a minute about, you know, how that's going and how we can pray for yeah. you. But let's um, but let's stick for a minute here with what's in the book, Holy Habits. So Noah, we um, we're not only going to read the Bible, we're going to choose to do um, what God has instructed us. That obedience is the um, 
uh, is the engine of transformation. That's one of the things my friend Dave Buring always likes to say. Mm. It's one thing to know what God has said, what God has revealed. It's another thing altogether to do it. Um, yeah. What is Get Good at Coming Home? <laughs> that uh, chapter is all about repentance. Uh, one of my favorite scriptures is Proverbs twenty four sixteen. It says that uh, the righteous fall seven times, but they get back up. And um, I just think it's so interesting. It's not the unrighteous uh, that fall seven times. And, and that number seven is a, a number used for multiplication. It's saying the righteous fall a lot. Um, and so the difference between the righteous and the unrighteous is not that one falls and the other doesn't. The difference is that the righteous can get back up because of the grace of Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. And so we don't use that as an excuse for sin. But when we do sin or when we do fall, uh, I think the best thing we can do is immediately get back into the presence of Jesus. And um, instead of following the example of the prodigal sign and staying out with the pigs, it's get back in the house as quickly as you can because there's no change outside of the presence of God. And so that's really what the, the chapter is all about is, hey, when you, when you uh, fail to choose the word of God, what is our response? Well, it's I'm going to get back up and I'm going to get close to God as quickly as I can because it's in that place that my heart can actually change. Yeah, that's so good. It's um this question of whether or not when I fall, I... I, I cry out to the Father and then and then head for home as fast as possible. That's um, that's yeah. just so good. Um, talking with God probably not going to be a huge surprise to people. Um, rest probably not a huge surprise. Um, I like the finding a coach and being a coach. This is um, the 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 generational or even mentoring um, conversation that um, that we all need to be having. Let's touch on keep it simple and then let's touch on sit in silence. Yeah, so keep it simple is really just about being content. Um, one of my favorite scriptures is Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. But uh, that scripture is not really about fighting giants like uh, we sometimes make it out to be. It's actually a scripture about being content. Um, if you read it in the context, Paul is uh, actually in prison and he's talking about how it doesn't matter what situation he's he's in, um, he's finding his joy and his contentment in in Christ, and and that's what gives him his strength. And so, uh, keeping it simple is just a chapter about simplicity and trying to quiet that little voice inside of our souls that's always telling us we need more of whatever we have, whether it's more money or more influence or more house or you know more popularity, whatever it is. Um, there's just this more monster inside each of us that uh, is constantly trying to push us further. And simplicity is just the act of going, no, Jesus is enough. And um, maybe there are some things in my life I can get rid of to show him that he's enough. Uh, maybe I have too much clothes or, or too uh, much money or, or too much whatever. And um, I'm just going to give some of this away and get rid of some of this so that I can focus on on Jesus and show him that he's enough. Um, there, uh, my word for the year last year was purge. I didn't, I wasn't terribly successful. It probably still needs to be my <laughs> word, um, this year, but, uh, yeah, the, this is huge and it only, this is, this is a monster that keeps coming back around. Um, mm -hmm. and so maybe you simplified at some time in the past, maybe you, um, you know, maybe you did at some point give a lot of it away, but I want you to look around right now. Um, if you need a storage unit, um, if you're if your attics are full and you're thinking about building bigger barns, 
um, then maybe the keep it simple chapter is one that would be good for you to turn to. Talk with us, um, talk with us, Noah, about sitting in silence. I love this. I love this, by the way. I, I, this is, um, I just spent a weekend um, of, of silence and solitude um, with some other women just before the Lord, like, right. And they're, it's such a gift. So talk with us about Uh, sitting in silence. Yeah, this has been, uh, out of all the habits, this is the newest to me. I've been practicing this for about two years. And for me, what it looks like is I I go on a walk every morning for about 10, 15 minutes. It's not super long, but it's at the end of my kind of quiet time with God. And I don't take music with me. I don't take my phone with me. Um, It's just me and outside and the Lord. And uh, I'm just being with him. You know, uh, the relationships in our life, with other humans where we can be silent with one another are the most intimate relationships. You know, you're not going to just sit in a car with uh, an acquaintance for 15 minutes and (laughs) not talk (laughs) because that would just be awkward. But um, you definitely could do that with your spouse and that not be weird or awkward. It could be very normal. Uh, You could just be enjoying each other's company. And that's something that has definitely been the case as I've been just walking around our neighborhood with the Lord is sometimes God doesn't say anything. And um, that's great because I just enjoyed his presence. But there have been lots of other times where this sitting in silence practice has allowed me to hear back from God. You know, I, I regularly talk to God about the things that I need him to do or the things I'm, I, I'm seeing or need wisdom, you know, on or whatever. But I rarely, uh, up until I started practicing this, would give God a chance to speak back. And that's what this practice of sitting in silence is. It's going, okay, God, now, now you, you speak to me, you nudge me, you talk to me and it is, it has changed my life. Hmm. So good. Noah, um, what a delight to, uh, to make your acquaintance. I hope we can continue the conversation uh, in the future. I would love that. Great to meet you. Likewise, likewise. That's Noah Heron. You can find him um, online, Noah Heron, H-E-R-R-I-N dot O-R-G. He is, among other things, the author of Holy Habits. He's also a husband and a dad and a church planter. So um, so be praying him up well today. Um, and again, Holy Habits is the book. All right, we're almost out of time, but it is Friday. And I would be remiss if I didn't give you the Friday Farm Report. So I made a quick list here. Um, first of all, um, all that corn that we raised um, much of it has, well, I don't know, a third of it finally got picked. It's dry, which is what it should be. Come to find out, um, the cows, they don't want to eat it off the cob. So now every day, uh, I'm, I'm like, I'm like taking the little kernels off of six or eight ears of corn to, to feed to the cows, which is fun, but you know, also kind of seems silly. Chickens, on the other hand, you can just toss the whole thing in there and they just have a great time pecking to their little heart's content. Um, the dogs have now decided that gifts need to be brought to the porch. <clears throat> so for those of you who know what kind of gifts dogs might bring to the porch, um, you know I am, I'm not joyfully receiving them. Um, little dead moles, little dead mice. I just, I, I don't need these things. Um, and so not, you know, I'm trying to just appreciate the heart of the giver. There you go. Trying to appreciate the heart of the giver, even if I don't actually appreciate mm, these wet little gifts. <clears throat> so there you go. Farm life, life on the farm. Maybe this weekend I will, um, I'll, I'll post something for you on my Facebook page from life on the farm. Um, 
but maybe you could uh, let me know what's happening in your life as well. The text line's always open, 877-933-2484. I will absolutely be praying for you and this world that God so loves um, over the weekend and uh, invite you to be praying for me and for, um, for others as well. These are, these are trying times, but God is good. Have a great weekend. God bless. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.